Now, there was a menacing atmosphere on Kildare Street on Wednesday and crowds displaying effigies of some politicians on fake gallows blocked politicians and staff from entering Leinster House. The scenes have led to a discussion about the line between protest and when it crosses into intimidation and raised concerns around the safety of politicians more generally. Now, we're going to speak to our political panel shortly about how they felt on Wednesday and what, if any, security measures they feel should now be taken. But before that, let's hear from Kim Leadbeater. She's a UK Labour MP and an ambassador for a foundation set up in memory of her sister, the politician Joe Cox, who was murdered by a far-right extremist in 2016. I spoke to her before the programme and started by asking her for her response to what happened in Dublin on Wednesday. If I'm honest, I find it a mixture of deeply depressing, infuriating and um, really upsetting to see scenes like this taking place. It's just over seven years since my sister Jo Cox was murdered and I thought at that time things were toxic in sort of political debate and discord and sadly in those years I don't think we've seen it get any better. I think we need to have a really careful think about what we want our politics to look like and we seem to have lost the skill and the art of having robust passionate debate on really important topics without it descending into aggression and and sadly in, ca- in some cases violence and i find i find that really upsetting and really disappointing now as you say as you say your your sister was killed during a particularly divided time in britain's political history in the lead up uh, to to the brexit debate well, from what you're saying there you would seem to see something in common about the tone the anger and the behavior regardless of the topic driving it Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's absolutely fine to hold elected officials to account. It's absolutely fine to disagree with elected officials, but they have got a job to do. And believe me, I know this now better than ever as a member of parliament myself. It's not an easy job. That doesn't mean to say people get it right all the time. It doesn't mean to say that people are going to agree with decisions that are made by those elected officials. However, what we've got to be able to do is have proper nuanced debate and discussion on some of the really challenging topics that we face and we've got to stop that descending into violence and threats and intimidation you know we've had two members of parliament murdered um in england in the last few years and all it takes is for one individual who cannot differentiate between shouting and 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 protesting for one individual to take that to the whole other level and then lives are changed forever and to have like a set of gallows being wheeled through the streets with people's faces on i just think is deeply disturbing and we've got no place for that i don't think in a in a, in a respectful democracy and how from from your experience of dealing with this how do you engage with people who don't believe in simply passionate debate or even the institutions through which that debate would be conducted. They want to just, it would seem, from some of the rhetoric, tear the whole thing down. Look, do you know what? I've only been in politics a short time and I really understand people's frustration with the system, however they define the system. And I think, you know, it is important that we give people an opportunity to take part in discussions and debates and maybe there's not enough of that maybe we need to make sure that people feel that they are being listened to not just once every few years at the ballot box so maybe there is something to be said around sort of the local democratic process and the national democratic process about how people are allowed to engage um because 
again, I, I would like to think that, you know, these aren't the actions that someone would go to in the first instance, but maybe they feel that they're not part of the process and the system. So maybe we do need to look at that a little bit more. Um, but, and I also think, you know, politicians have got to look at themselves. Are we listening to people? Are we engaging with people? So the, the whole system maybe does need looking at, you know, and as someone who was outside that system for, for the vast majority of my life, I understand those frustrations. But, you know, I, I just think there's a line where we've got to say this is not acceptable. Um, and, and unfortunately, the scenes that we saw um, this week, I, I think, really show the worst of that. How do you keep politicians safe at the same time as facilitating a deeper engagement in the communities they represent? I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? And I've had lots of conversations with the parliamentary authorities in, in the UK around this um, and lots of conversations with the police around this. Because, look, you know, the reason that most people go into politics um, is because they want to engage with people and they want to represent people and they want to be open and accessible. But ultimately, that does pose risks. Um, and the reality is, how do you get a, a zero risk situation? And I'm not sure that that is possible, but I think you have got to work with the police. You've got to work with the parliamentary authorities um, and you've got to work with communities to try and get things to be as safe as they possibly can. Um, but, you know, I, I know lots of MP colleagues who that's why they're in the job, because they want to be accessible and they want to be open to people. Um, and the danger is when we see behaviour like this, it's going to reduce that rather than make it better, because... You know, I know MPs, colleagues now who have had death threats, rape threats, horrible abuse and intimidation, a lot of it online, but actually a lot of it in person as well. And we've just got to kind of reset what we want our politics to look like, I think. We've got to look at the role of the media and how the media tends to cover the most volatile things and the most divisive subjects. And, you know, I, I talk a lot in, in, in the UK Parliament. We don't talk enough about the cross-party work that goes on. We don't talk enough about the, 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 the decent debates and the respectful debates that take place day in and day out. Uh, we've also got to look at social media. And then, you know, society as a whole, we've got to look and think about the kind of communities we want to live in, the kind of society we want to live in. In the angry people that, that you've seen, I mean, you try to see past the anger and one of the things you've picked up on is what you think might be loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jo had started a lot of work around loneliness and social isolation and we picked that up through her charity, through the Jo Cox Foundation. And I think this does have different layers to it. Of course, there can be someone who is lonely um, because they want to have more friends and they want to you know, have more social connections on, on one level. But loneliness and isolation can lead to negative behaviours as well, whether that's things like antisocial behaviour or criminal activity or, worst case scenario, getting drawn towards the extremes, uh, whichever extremes they might be. So I think the more we can do to build well-connected communities and a society where everybody has a sense of identity and belonging, the better that is on lots of different levels. And yet in the teeth of an election campaign, campaigning is becoming more sophisticated where there's micro-targeting of people and the divisive issues within local areas are focused on through, you know, uh, information scraping from social media and people being targeted with particular types of advertising. It seems to be going against precisely what you're trying to uh, achieve. I know, and that really worries me. It really depresses me. Um, I think we've got huge issues around disinformation and misinformation. We've also got, you know, the changes in ways where people get their information. You know, when, when I was growing up, there were four channels on the TV, and that's where you got your news from. That's where you got your information from. But we live in a totally different world now. And um, 
it's hard for people to establish the facts. It's often hard for politicians to establish the facts, you know, because there's so much information flying around. Um, so I think I think what's what's quite good now is you'll get organisations like the BBC and others doing fact checking things where they can actually say, you know, you might have seen this, this and this. These are the actual facts around it. So I think we need a bit more of that, a bit more of trying to cut through the noise. Um, but it is it is difficult. And, and again, where politicians have got to take responsibility, it really worries me that some politicians will openly say they're going to focus on the wedge issues. They're going to focus on the things that divide people. Well, that's not helpful. And that's not the way to build a cohesive, strong community and society. But again, when people are after votes, that is the danger that they get drawn towards those issues. And instead of looking at the nuance, they look at picking a side um, and a side that might make them more popular. Now, you entered politics, as you say, because of the murder of your sister. But one of the the things that drives you, you said you've outlined it in a number of articles and and addresses, is is Joe Cox's kindness and trying to affect a shift in society where people would be driven to find more common ground and build a kinder society. Yeah, Joe famously said in her maiden speech to Parliament that, that we've got more in common than that which divides us. And I still really fundamentally believe in that. When I speak to most people in my constituency, the issues that are affecting them are very similar. They want to look after their children. They want their kids to get a good education. They want to feel safe on the streets at night. They want to make sure their elderly relatives are cared for. They want to be able to pay their bills and make an honest living. So there's a lot of common ground that we need to coalesce around. Um, And I think, again, part of this is being able to listen to people who've got different views to you. And I mean, really listen. One thing that we do a lot of is we sit in rooms and people talk a lot, but I'm not sure how many people actually listen. So listening to different viewpoints and politicians have got a responsibility to do that. And I've seen it done very well. I do it all the time in my constituency. I've got a very diverse constituency with a range of different um, people from different backgrounds. Listening to different people's perspective, understanding what it's like to have lived a different life and to have walked in a different pair of shoes. Um, And then thinking about a word that we probably don't use often enough, thinking about compromise and thinking about, you know, maybe... Okay, I've never thought about it like that before. Maybe this is the way forward. And sitting down and having those debates and discussions at a local level, at a national level, um, and understanding different perspectives. And I think that's really important. And and sometimes we lose sight of that. You said that, you know, when things spill over and something disastrous happens, that there is a period of pause afterwards where people realise the enormity of what's happened and there's an opportunity for people to come together and then it seems to snap back to the negative default. I think writing in 2019 you said after Joe, your sister, was murdered there was a, a short-lived period of time, only a matter of weeks before the rhetoric ratcheted up again. Before a similar disaster befalls somebody in this country, how could that opportunity be taken to try and build in the defences now before it spills over into something disastrous? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there was that period after Joe's murder where people said lots of the right things about doing things with more kindness and more compassion. And and it didn't seem to last very long before we were back to the division and the anger. And I understand anger. Goodness me, having my sister murdered five minutes from where I live, I am extremely angry. I feel the despair, I feel the hatred, I feel the anger. But what I've tried really hard is to not let those emotions consume me and overwhelm me and to try and create something positive out of something 
utterly horrific. And I think that's the choice that we've all got on the issues that we feel strongly about and that we care about, looking at how you can be part of positive change rather than uh, part of being more of the problem and, and more of the division. So I think we all need to reflect on how we behave, whether that's someone having a rant on social media, whether that's a, par a parliamentarian speaking um, you know, at an event, looking at all our different actions as to how we can try and focus on the issues. And again, always trying to debate the issue and not make it about the person. You know, I've spoken a lot in the last seven years about how Jo was a mum and a sister and a daughter and a friend to lots of people, you know. And I think as soon as you get, you know, letters after your name, become an MP, and it's a bit with, the same with the police, to be honest, to some degree as well, you are dehumanised. And I think it's really important to remember that we are all human beings. And whether you disagree or agree with the way that we do the job and the, the views that we hold, you know, we are just doing our best, often under very testing circumstances. Um, so I think, and again, we've seen that through through broader society as well. I mean, unfortunately, we've seen huge amounts of abuse towards people in all different professions, whether that's taxi drivers or nurses or shop assistants. And I think that, you know, leads me back to this thing about what is the kind of society that we want do we want it to be full of anger and full of hate and full of division or do we all want to reflect on the role that we can play in building a stronger better connected happier healthier more cohesive society and that is something that every single person can take responsibility for and play a part in and that was kim ledbeater she's a labor mp in the uk and also the sister of the late joe cox she's sp speaking to me before the program